right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gather around the screen, gather around the Spotify, the, the headphones, the TV, wherever you guys are in the world, you're in the right place. Because uh, it's the Crypto 101 podcast, and we are joined by another absolute sharpshooter, high caliber kind of guy here in the crypto DeFi space. Um, and I'm not talking about Brendan, who I'm joined by every single week talking about our special guest but before we introduce our special guest uh i want to talk to my buddy brendan and check in see how the thanksgiving went uh and the whole holiday season brendan you're feeling good you're feeling right these these green candles are bringing up your spirits yeah you know it's it's hard to feel bad when the crypto market is doing this good i did get a little bit of culture shock going from north carolina to florida back to north carolina <laughs> we're going from 80 degrees to 30 degrees and you know, other than that, we're doing just fine. So, so your uh, your your thermoregulatory system's a little off, I, I imagine. Uh, a little confused. At least you're on the same time zone, though. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, that's all good. The, no kind of like jet lag or anything like that. But yeah, the body's <laughs> still adjusting. Love it. No, I, I hope all of our listeners, everybody, all those good, wonderful citizens of Crypt Nation who are out there celebrating um, just the whole holiday season, whatever you celebrate, we just we just hope. And pray that you guys have a great season. Um, and, and with that being said, we want to introduce our guest. We have got uh, Jason Ma. And Jason Ma is the head of DeFi at Axelar. And Axelar is a very, very new, very interesting protocol that's kind of just started to pop up big on the scene. And so we wanted to do some deep dive both on, on who Jason is and what Axelar's role is um, so we're going to shut up. We're going to let Jason take over. Jason, how are you doing today? Fantastic. What an intro. Thanks for having me, Bryce. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're always full of something over here and uh, really excited. We, we love what we do. We, we always get to talk with the smartest people in crypto. Um, and, and we're really honored to have you. You know, you and I met at the Bridge Conference in New York City, um, hosted by the Thai which I thought was pretty awesome. Did you have any high-level takeaways? Um, I know your uh, your team was there, and there was a big presence from Axelar. Um, thumbs up, thumbs down real quick. <laughs> I mean, for me, I think the biggest thing was, wow, like the institutions are really here, right? Like I know we've been talking yeah. about like crypto adoption by you know enterprises, by TradFi, but in this conference, you really see just the kind of players that are now really interested in crypto and, you know, beyond the surface level stuff. Like these are, I mean, top tier hedge funds that usually you would only associate with like Wall Street, right? And they're now like all over crypto, which is super exciting for us in the industry. Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Ufi Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup requirement 
recordings. They're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it's truly all-in-one with the three-in-one. You don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, Go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. Yeah, it was crazy. It seemed like everybody was talking about, um, you know, custody for these ETFs and stuff. I mean, there was State Street and Fidelity and Bank of New York Mellon and Citibank and, you know, Charles Schwab, all these big banks, you know, were represented. And, and just like you said, um, you know, it's just impressive to see the caliber of, of folks who are entering the space. But I want to get um, the audience acquainted with you, who you are, what you were kind of doing before you went all in on DeFi and crypto. How'd you end up in this role? Yeah, you know, I actually have a kind of funny origin story. You know, like many of us that were, you know, young and lost, I did business school and I ended up in strategy consulting, you know, after <laughs> grinding it right. out for, for two years, I, I looked for a better life and, uh, you know, ended up doing like various like strategy and ops roles and, you know, ended up, you know, joining WeWork. And this was WeWork during its peak days, right? It was the most exciting company, most valuable company, oh, private market. It was an amazing time, but it was also incredibly mission driven. and. I know, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but at the time, you know, this was something super exciting, right? For every for everything that everyone knew, they were disrupting the largest industry, which was commercial real estate. So, you know, I joined that roller coaster, you know, from the peak forty seven billion to the crash down with the failed IPO, restructuring the, the company with SoftBank, and then again yeah. taking it public by a SPAC. And you know, after that experience. My biggest realization was just by joining a company with a big valuation doesn't really mean much. Like you need to have like real technology, real innovation behind it. So after, mm. after reflecting for a long time, you know, the two areas that really excited me at, at that time was crypto or AI. And, you know, just by chance, I was able to join, you know, Ripple leading their go to market strategy for, for EMEA. And as many of you probably are familiar with Ripple, they're really a leader in in the payment space as well as you know trying to transform cross border payments via via crypto. So that's kind of how I got my first like official crypto job. But you know on the side, I've been following crypto since 2017, being your classic like DeFi degen, like going 10x leverage on DYDX in the early days and, and so on. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's changed quite a bit, and um, recently we just had. Um, you know, not to derail the conversation or anything, but it was a pretty big news event where uh, CZ, uh, Chengpeng Zhao, who is the head of Binance, um, kind of just settled with the SEC, this big, you know, court case and investigation that's been going on for, for seemingly years, apparently, right? And uh, it's finally settled. Chengpeng Zhao is no longer the head of Binance. He gets to keep his economic stake in it, but he's no longer voting. He's no longer part of the governance board. So that's all pretty interesting, but it's, eerily reminiscent of the last time we had a big kind of takedown, um, not, a, not a blow up like what happened with FTX, but what happened with BitMEX and Arthur Hayes. Um, and it was back in like, I think it was like March 2020 um, when this happened. And it came kind of right before uh, another big bull run. So maybe this is going to mark, um, you know, kind of a, a final capitulation by big players, big bulls in the space. 
um, and they get booted. They get ejected out of their uh, out of their position essentially, um, and then the bull market could kind of continue taking off. Um, so they they in a in a kind of cold hearted way died for for the sins of the bear market, and uh, the bull market could kind of rise again. We'll see. Um, but are you how are you uh, looking? You know, are you optimistic? That the bull market is back upon us, or are you kind of along the the lines with with many other folks who still think the bear market is is in play? You know, you should be, you know, kind of protecting your capital for the next big drawdown. You know, Bryce. At the end of the day, you know, we're builders, so we really try to ignore the noise and the in the macro conditions. It's so hard to speculate, right? Like some people are saying that the interest rates might drop as early as first quarter next year, which will obviously directly have an impact on whether the bull market is back. Um, if, you know, from an actual standpoint, we're just keep on doing what we were doing, which is like building through the bull, building through the bear. And we really believe that really by delivering like new innovations into space, such as having like more mature interoperability solutions and by having like the ability to onboard more users into crypto and create these more of like user-friendly chain agnostic applications, that's how we truly, you know, advance the industry, attract more capital forwards, right? Rather than speculating on like monetary and macro conditions. You know, speaking of building, I know you have a, an in-depth background when it comes to the DeFi space. So I'm curious to kind of get your perspective on what you've seen built in the, in the DeFi industry specifically, because that was one that was hit hard. And then there's been a ton and I mean an absolute ton getting built in the background. So I'm curious, kind of from your perspective, what are the most interesting things that you've come across and seen built in this bear market? And I would also preface this with, uh, as you know, because we, we don't want to dive into Axelar yet. So outside of any interesting things Axelar is building on. <laughs> For sure. I mean, there's just been so <laughs> we'll there's a whole been, episode talking about that. <laughs> got it, got it. I mean, there's been so much building that's going on. So, you know. I have to take a think what's really exciting for me in the DeFi space. Hmm. You know, I, I probably would say like what's been getting a lot of my attention are in like derivatives and, and perpetuals, especially I think like last cycle, you know, we had some dominant players such as like DYDX launching on Ethereum. And, and of course there was like OG players such as synthetics, but really in the last year, we've seen a lot of like emerging new players that either offer like a, a much better like user slash trading experience such as like vertex or you have some of these other players like hyper liquid that's like really innovating by allowing you to trade like you know even tokens that haven't got listed on spot markets so there's yeah. a if you look at the overall like data right the bulk of like derivatives trading is still happening on centralized exchanges and even like the leader like DYDX has a tiny fraction of the total trading volume. But as we are seeing like more and more of innovation on their derivative side, I think more of it, more of the market share is going to shift on chain. And, you know, if you look at like some of the fundraisers that's happened as well, clearly like uh, a lot of these venture firms are also have conviction that that's going to be the futures of derivative trading, which is going to be on chain. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, perps are, uh, extremely important i'm not talking about perps like uh what are they called in like inmates or, or perps they're uh, <laughs> perpetrators no i'm not talking about that i'm talking about per perpetuals perpetual swaps which are you know unexpiring futures contracts which uh, are, are really um a key part of the the crypto sort of ecosystem 
And um, yeah, we're, we're really excited about Perps as well. And uh, before we dive into actual our last last kind of like question, um, you know, I, I'm curious just when when we talk about like DeFi, decentralized finance, and this is a, kind of an open ended question, but what does that mean to you? You know, what is you know what what is the goal of DeFi? What is the mission of DeFi, and what are you know what are you trying to accomplish? <laughs> That's a fantastic question. I mean, depending on who you ask, you'll get a, you'll get a very you'll get a very different answer. But for me personally, I, I always thought of DeFi as about equalizing the playing field, right? I always thought of DeFi as being able to have access to the financial instruments that you know in the current traditional finance only a very sophisticated actors or big funds can have access to, right? Like you know, when I was in business school, one of the things that always kind of dumbfounded me was why did the average mom and pop or the average person only get access to like mutual funds managed by you know some random guy who didn't even go to a good business school or have really any real wall street experience but then if you're like a ultra high net worth or like some massive like fund you can you know get access to all these like cool you know hedge fund strategies you can use like futures buy leverage commodities and all that kind of stuff right and it's just not fair and DeFi to me has always been kind of that the technology that equalizes that that gives everyone the opportunity to to uh, you know have access to these more sophisticated instruments. Um, but if you ask your average like ape, I think they'll just say DeFi is a chance for you to get extra yield. <laughs> so at a high level, what do you see is Axelar's role in the crypto space? Yeah, you know, simply put, I think Axelar's role is connecting all of the blockchains together, breaking down silos, you know, unifying liquidity and simplifying user experience so that people don't have to worry about what blockchain they're using. Just similar to how today, you know, when people use the internet, they don't care about like what server something's being routed through, right? They just want to do what they want to do on the on the website or application they're using. And I think that's where we're going to get to with crypto and web three as well. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and kind of the first time I I I kind of saw Axelar and was was basically blown away by the fact that you know you could have liquidity being sourced from all sorts of different chains in your swaps and so um you know talk a little bit about some of the the difficulties um around all these call it disparate chains or all these you know many 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 chains and how axelar kind of bridges that together with with interoperability yeah for sure i mean first of all i just want to like preface by saying like this kind of fragmentation is a growing problem, right? And it's accelerating, yeah. if anything. Like a year ago, as you guys probably know, we had like a handful of chains, five or 10, just some of the major names, right? You had like Ethereum, you had like Avalanche, you had Solana, and a few other common names. Today, there's a new chain every week, if not multiple chain, new chains every week. It's crazy. It's crazy, but that's kind of what adoption looks like, right? Like, I think we are all now in agreement that there's only going to be more horizontal scaling, right? People will like label it different things. They might call it like an OP stack. They might call it a Cosmos app chain. But the reality is there's going to, there's more and more side chains, right? They might be a different design, different architecture, but this is a direction where everyone is going. And it just makes sense, right? If you're going to have applications that supports millions, if not billions of users, such as like, you know, Uniswap, they will one day probably have to have their own chain for many reasons, right? For like throughput, for the ability to scale um, and, the, and additional like value accrual for their token. 
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. But anyways, like you, you then create more demand for some kind of interoperability solution mm-hmm. to connect it to, to other networks, right? And when we say like interoperability, we're talking about much more than just asset transfers or token bridging, which I still think is like what most people associate with interoperability, right? And that's kind of also like what was what only existed a year ago. Like if last year, there was only bridging, right? Messaging solutions like Axler did not exist where were almost unknown. So l- let me just quickly like spell out the difference so everyone yeah. knows, right? There's asset transfers, which means, you know, oftentimes you lock an asset on the source chain and then you mint a wrap version of that asset on another chain. But that wrap version could be denominated as anything, right? For, you know, for clarity, we always denominate Axler assets as like Axel whatever. So as an example, you know, USDC obviously exists on Ethereum, right? And any USDC bridged by Axler will be denominated as Axel USDC on another chain. However, if you use another bridging solution, let's say Wormhole, then on that other chain, you'll have another version of it called like Wormhole USDC. And those two mm-hmm. different types of USDC, Axel USDC and Wormhole USDC, are actually not compatible, right? Because they're different wrapped assets. And this is what we create a situation called like liquidity fragmentation because you're splitting liquidity among different wrapped assets, which is not great. It's well, almost like, more- to put that in, in different terms, just to interrupt real quick, for and then don't lose your spot, because I love the train that you're going on, but you know, it's like a person in America who's trading on American stock exchanges. That liquidity is fragmented from Brazil. Like an American you know, who's got all their money in a Charles Schwab, you know, whatever, American account, you know, can't just go easily speculate in Brazilian markets or Japanese markets as easily as somebody who lives on that continent or in that country or on that chain, right? Totally. That's an amazing way of putting it, Bryce. And like a lot of times what makes it more confusing is that like, there are no clear rules or rules or regulation on how these things will be denominated, right? Like as a concrete example of this is, you know, a lot of users on Phantom thought they were using the native USDC issued by Circle, but it was actually a, a wrap version bridged by multi-chain, which 
was very centralized and very dangerous. So, you know, when multi-chain got exploited, we saw tons of Phantom users just saying like, what the heck? Like, we didn't know this was a wrap version. Like we just, because they just labeled it as USDC, which, you know, from our point of view is is highly confusing and, and should not be done like that anymore. You know, what do you see as the end goal of interoperability? Is that simply just interconnecting every major blockchain out there? Like, what is your main takeaway from that? Maybe even lower fees, I imagine, in the long term, like compression on fees, um, better usability. What what are some of the yeah other main things? That's a great question. Yeah, I think like before we get to that, right? I just want to finish what like what the second type of interoperability solution that we offer is, which is known as general message passing. So, what general message passing is is ability to pass like any payload and call contracts between any of the blockchains we support, right? So. While bridging can only allow you to move assets, message passing can let you pass commands, which is super exciting because what that allows you to do is combine like multiple functions into one, right? So as an example, you're able to use message passing to to uh, combine, let's say, a swap on one chain with a bridging transaction and a swap on a different chain and then maybe a staking transaction so that from a user standpoint... They're, they're allowing to do like a one-click staking where they, what, let's say they had Avalanche, a- AVAX on Avalanche, and they wanted to stake Matic on Polygon. And they're able to click one button and do that in a single click. And the complexity of the multiple swap, the bridging and staking is all abstracted away from the user. That's incredible. So, <laughs> exactly. Like, I mean, to go back to your question, Brendan, that's what we think the future of crypto needs to look like in order for us to truly have billions of users and have you know the likes of our parents and grandparents on it, right? It needs to be so simple. It's just a click of a button. And the only way to, to do so is using cross-chain messaging. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it makes it makes a ton of sense to me. What were you gonna yeah, say, Brennan? Yeah, I was gonna say it needs to be one of those things where everyone benefits because that's kind of the true nature of decentralization is it's not just the projects or the companies that are involved benefiting in the same way that it's not just the people benefiting. It needs to be this true decentralized scenario where both parties can benefit. And I think that's one of the great things that that blockchain tech brings to the table here. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Um, and, and I think you know it's, it's really attractive from, from so many different standpoints. Um, but I, I, I love the the aspect of just obfuscating or abstracting away all of the complexities that come with you know doing DeFi, whether it's earning a stable yield or swapping between different assets that there might be an arbitrage on. Like you know, once you have a system like Axelar, which is kind of that that web between all of the different blockchains and connects them. Um, plus, with that messaging layer, I mean, you you could you could take advantage of opportunities so much quicker um, and do it programmatically. And so, Axelar, I think, is going to uh, really reduce a lot of the the spreads and the slippage in the DeFi markets. It's going to increase capital efficiencies um, for for all sorts of different protocols. And I think it's really only the beginning. I mean, I know it's only the beginning. I mean, the thing is just now kind of coming out and getting sussed out. And uh, one of the questions. That um that I have for you is just on the bridging component, or I mean, I don't know if it's even the right thing to technically call it a bridge, but you know, we we've had lots of different folks from different bridges on the show, and um, you know, a lot of them end up being hacked. For, for you know, maybe it's not detrimental, or maybe it's not like completely um you know unsecured where everybody loses their money or maybe the, the the entire protocol is not broken from there. But at some point, it seems like a lot of these bridges do get 
touched in some way by uh, malicious actors. How do you guys think about that? And, and maybe what's something different than some of these uh, other bridge hacks that have happened? How does Axelar maybe protect it against that? That's a fantastic question, Bryce. I mean, as you mentioned, bridges have had a terrible history of exploits. Some of the largest hacks, almost all of the largest hacks in crypto have happened to token bridges, right? And, you know, it's not a surprise given that many of these bridges are securing hundreds of millions of locked assets. So it creates this like big honeypot, right? Where hackers are constantly trying to target and attack these bridges. But with that said, I'm not a fan of saying like just all bridges are dangerous. I think there are like a lot of nuance when it comes to it, right? If you look at a lot of the bridges that got hacked, almost all of them were very like centralized in their design. And our perspective is when you have a single point of failure, it's only a matter of time until an attacker finds a vulnerability, especially when they're you know trying all the time looking looking at it because there is such a great prize, right? What's different about Axler is that we're the only truly decentralized interoperability solution with a fully open stack. In fact, recently we shifted to you know fully decentralized governance where even protocol upgrades has to be voted in by a fully permissionless validator set using a delegated proof of stake model, right? And mm-hmm. the other thing is, I know every bridge says they're secure, they're safe. And, you know, that's why I say, don't trust what I say. Like, go look at the Uniswap cross-chain assessment. And so some context on what the Uniswap cross-chain assessment was, you know, four or five months ago, the Uniswap Foundation we're looking for a cross-chain messaging solution to help with cross-chain governance for you know people to be able to vote on different proposals across the different Uniswap deployments on different chains. So they needed something that was very secure. And because it's Uniswap, every bridge or every interoperability solutions, you know, put their hand up and said, like, use me, I'm the most secure. And it all sounded great, right? But because cross-chain is such a technical subject, it's very hard for the regular person to know like what is real versus like what is vaporware. So yeah. to streamline the process, the foundation said, why don't we find a group of experts in the cross-chain bridging space? There'll be third-party experts, so they'll be completely objective. Let's set out a process where, you know, here are like 20 set questions. Each of you guys go answer it and then submit a submit a like um, a proposal, right? And after you know, review of the, the questions and a tech, a detailed technical review where they actually went through everyone's code. They then gave the chance for everyone, all of the different proto- bridging protocols to be interviewed by the Uniswap Foundation. And after this very rigorous, detailed four-month process, the conclusion was that only Axler and Wormhole were found as decentralized, secure enough for crossing development out of like everyone they interviewed, right? Even though everyone was saying they were safe, the the committee was able to find all kinds of like little issues that unless you dig deep under the hood, there would there'd be no way that you know. So all that's to say is that unfortunately I think when it comes to cross-chain and bridging, there's still all kinds of security concerns. But mm-hmm. bridges are definitely not made equal. So people should, developers and users definitely need to pay extra attention on when they're uh, using different cross-chain protocols. Yeah, I, I love that story. Um, I had never heard that and, and didn't actually even know that was going on. So I'm glad that you kind of brought that to our attention. Um, I always love those anecdotes kind of behind the scenes, real builders just in the in the middle of uh, the bear market or the build market, duking it out and coming out on top. Um, what a cool story. But I want to dive in and move on to um, something that is being really referred to as tokenization uh, of real world assets. 
Um, people might have seen the acronym RWA. And to me, this is going to be the linchpin or the defining factor that separates this next bull market from every past bull market. DeFi never had a source of real world yield. And so I think that caused our bull markets to be very flamboyant. You, you would go up in a big blaze of glory and then fall and everything kind of crashed and you were in a bear market and for, for years. And so now we've got this real world yield. And, and what that means, well, maybe I'll let you kind of define what, the, what real world assets are and, and what those sources of yield might be. But I think this is going to be the defining factor. I want to know, do you feel that same way? And is Axelar working on anything in this realm? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point that you brought up, Bryce. Like for us, we are super bullish on real old assets and, you know, yield bearing stable coins. In fact, you know, Axelar, we partner with the leaders in the space, such as like Ondo Finance, you know, Mountain Protocol. And all of these guys are working on uh, these different types of yield bearing stable coins or real old assets. And the most exciting part is these guys have spent a lot of time, you know, getting the, the right licenses being fully regulated so that like as end users, we can actually tr trust these guys and know that for that like five or 6% yield, we're not like risking all, all of our savings away. And I do think this is really going to be a really powerful thing in the crypto space, right? Going back to like what I mentioned earlier, to me, DeFi was all about democratizing finance. And I don't know how many people have have asked themselves, like, why is it that we can't get access to U.S. Treasuries and get get access to this risk free rate. Instead, the best we're going to get is whatever the bank is offering us after they've taken like a cut in the middle. Right? It just doesn't make any sense. Versus what Ondo and these guys are doing is solving exactly that and better. Right? They have tokenized. They basically have like things like U.S. Treasuries or even high yield bonds, um, and they're able to then use a the yield there. To, to give users on on like a stable coin that they've minted, like in Ondo cases, like USDY. So it's similar to like using a stable coin today, like USDC or USDT, except you're actually being paid a yield on top, which is coming from a real yield source, such as US treasuries or high yield bonds, right? And when you combine it with DeFi, it creates this powerful combination, right? Because in addition to getting access to this safe yield you might otherwise not get, you can now actually compose it with DeFi, similar to how you use USDC today, you can use it with lending protocols. You can use it, you know, with, uh, provide liquidity on a DEX, or maybe even provide liquidity on a derivative exchange. So, I think when you put it together, there's a really powerful use case here. Yeah, and speaking of all of this in the tokenization space, I saw the other day in the news that you over at Axelar were partnering with like JP Morgan and Apollo to really kind of bring tokenization to the forefront to make it mainstream. So I guess, what can you tell us about that? Because that seems like it's just massive news when you name drop someone like Apollo or JP Morgan that could be potentially interested in this stuff. Yeah, absolutely, Brendan. That's something we're super proud of. We've been working with JP Morgan for over a year, uh, working on this pilot. And you know, we weren't able to say anything because obviously a lot of this stuff was highly confidential, but we were able to make the announcement uh, last week along with uh, Apollo and the Singaporean Monetary Authority. And it... it I think like this just really shows a trend of where traditional finance is thinking, right? All of them have these massive balance sheets with trillions of dollars of assets. 
and they know they can manage it in a more efficient way, right? Using blockchain. And they know they can probably do it a way where they can leverage some of the properties that we talked about earlier, like composing it with DeFi applications and be able to use it in a more capital efficient way. Of course, like we're talking like we're taking baby steps here, right? Because these guys are highly regulated uh, financial players. So we're just starting out with a pilot. But, you know, just based on the things that we're seeing, this is super exciting. Like I see them as like a very slow moving elephant, right? It might take years before we really see their full portfolio being used on a blockchain. But when that does happen, it's going to be an absolute groundbreaking moment. So to give some more details, right? JP Morgan is currently doing two pilots, one on provenance, a blockchain in the Cosmos ecosystem, and one on an avalanche subnet. And I believe they're also doing some stuff on their own private blockchain called Onyx. Because they're managing assets and moving, transferring assets across different blockchains, they will need an interoperability solution like Axler to connect them all together, right? And, and that's essentially what we're doing with them. We're also working very closely with you know, MasterCards on various payments use cases, and as well as many other big banks that we can't disclose yet. But you know, for me, as much as I love DeFi, I, the most exciting and truly innovative things are going to be when we see real substance, real innovation and adoption from these traditional financial services players. And as they have more of their regular business offerings on chain, that's when I think crypto will become real, truly mainstream. Yeah, something I caught at the end there is that you said, you know, I know you can't say names, I don't want to get in trouble, but you said that there's other big names that are interested in this stuff. And I think that's really telling of where we're at in all of this. Like there are other parties interested. And yeah, you know, we don't know everything that's happening in the background, but there are a lot of really big players beyond what we know. And we already know that there's a lot. I mean, we mentioned JP Morgan, Apollo. We know that there's BlackRock and Fidelity and all these other people that want to get on ETFs but it kind of goes deeper than just an ETF. We see these traditional financial institutions kind of wanting to really dig their roots into blockchain. So my main question for you here is, how far away do you think we are from these traditional financial companies actually utilizing DeFi and having their customers like use the products themselves that they're building? I think we're closer than, than, than what most people think. So what I can share is, is what you know, MasterCard is doing and how Axler is supporting them. So MasterCard is really at far ahead when it comes to adoption of blockchain. MasterCard has actually launched their own chain. It's a fully permissioned chain called MTN. It's an EVM-compatible blockchain. And MasterCard, given the, you know, their standing and, and cloud in the industry, has actually got the buy-in of some of the largest UK and US banks. They have run a pilot in the UK where five out of the six largest UK banks, so we're talking about like, you know, Barclays, Lloyds, and so on, have issued what they call tokenized GBP or tokenized deposits on MTN. So it's essentially a tokenized version of the British pound, right? And the idea is that a user can use MTN and be able to swap, you know, different tokens or different currencies directly into uh, just tokenized GBP. And this will then be connected to UK banking rails where a user can directly withdraw into their bank account in a very seamless fashion. The possibilities are endless here, right? That's so incredible. it is it is a fully permissioned chain, 
where like, you know, they're going to go address by address, right? And to, to be permissioned to use MTN, you have to have fulfilled the full KYC and compliance requirements of the UK banks. But, you know, for some centralized players, such as like Ondo or Circle, this should be no problem, right? And you can imagine then a world like this, where Axler is essentially the glue within Chop Blue Solution, c- connecting a chain like Ethereum to MTN. Mm-hmm. So let's say a user does all their DeFi stuff, you know, they're doing like lending or yield and derivatives on Ethereum. And now they want to be able to withdraw their money from bank account rather than relying on traditional fiat and off ramps or going to centralized exchange. There is a world where if this user has passed the requirements and has permission to use MTN, they can transfer their ETH or their stable coin right onto MTN, swap it for tokenized GBP, withdraw it to their bank account just like that. That's just like one example of what the future could look like. You know, but I know MasterCard has ambitions of having trillions of dollars living on MTN, and that can completely you know, transform like Forex, right? Imagine not just having tokenized GBP, but having like tokenized USD and other currencies. Mm-hmm. Rather than doing like the classic way we change Forex today, but imagine this under like an AMM model or order book model, all happening on chain on MTN. I think this is just a glimpse of like how fast the financial and service industry is, is going to be changing. and. I mean, that's a lot of exciting stuff ahead. Yeah, you know, all this is so wild because, you know, all three of us have been around in the space for quite some time. This is the stuff that years ago we would have said like, oh, man, imagine the day when BlackRock is getting involved and JP Morgan. And I want to name drop just one more person because I saw it kind of come up uh, in reference to Axelar, but also even Microsoft. You know, I saw that you had a partnership over with Microsoft to overall just create a more integrated and intelligent Web3. And I want to have you kind of explain everything that that means and what you're doing with them and, and how you're working with Microsoft. But I just wanted to take a moment and say, wow, like how far has the crypto industry come? <laughs> I mean, we're casually yeah. having a conversation about how some of the biggest household, most significant names are actively working in blockchain tech and specifically with different cryptocurrencies. And we're having this casual conversation about it. And my younger self has kind of just come come into this realization of like, <laughs> this is what we used to dream of. And we're here. And it's just like an everyday casual thing now. But like, oh, we're on the precipice of just so much. Oh, so Brandon, I, I can't wait to see your excitement at the very peak of the bull market, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Brandon, I couldn't agree more, right? Like when we went to like the demo day on like a MasterCard's office in Canary Wharf, like I showed up in a blazer and I'm like, oh, this is really taking me back to like my consulting days, right? I'm like, wait a second, I'm here, you know, for representing a crypto company. It's just like wild, right? And then when like yeah. MasterCard pulls up their block explorer, like a MasterCard EV, it looks just like <laughs> like Etherscan, like a MasterCard block exchange <laughs> explorer on testnet. I'm like, oh my God, we have come so far. We made it. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> No, I love it. Uh, it's it's incredible just to see how far uh, the industry's come and um, how far Axelar's come. I mean, it, you know, it didn't um, it didn't just pop up out of thin air. It, it was something that you and a, a dedicated group of people have been building, and uh, you know, you're proud to bring it to market. And we couldn't be more excited to to highlight you guys and everything that you guys got going on. Is there anything that we missed? Anything that we maybe didn't ask that you wanted to highlight? Whether it's a partnership. Some some part of the tech stack, maybe something about you know the founding story. Anything we didn't miss, um, and uh, if not, then we'll have a, a couple co- closing questions for you. 
Yeah, I think this is actually like a good uh, segue to talk about like the founding story of Axler. So, you know, contrary to popular belief, Axler has actually been around for three years now. It's just that in the first wow. two years, the, the co-founders, Sergey and Yorgos, and a small engineering team were just like silently building out the stack. You know, unlike most projects in crypto who focus on the marketing and, and go to market first, these guys were really trying to build out the stack, bootstrap the network before we like, you know, added on marketing and, and BD folks like myself. And the founding story of Axler is that, you know, both Sergey and Yorgos, they were actually the, on the founding team of Algorand. And this, you know, three um. years ago, back then, there was only, like, again, there was only a few blockchains, right? And everyone was trying to build like the more performing blockchain. You know, this is when everyone was talking about like Algorand, Solana, and, and, and so on. The ETH killers, they called it, right? <laughs> the ETH killers, exactly. <laughs> and, and what Sergey and Yorgos quickly, quickly realized was that there was going to be more and more ETH killers. But the bigger problem was going to be how do we get different types of blockchain to be able to talk to each other? So from very early on, they saw the interoperability problem. And, th- and that's when they started working. You know, of course, people have ta- heard at that point have already heard about like Polkadot and Cosmos and so on that we kind of associate with first gen interoperability. But they were just figuring out a way like how do we get blockchains in their ecosystems to talk to each other, right? Not different types of blockchain. And this is really mm-hmm. where Axler has been like a pioneer in the field, right? Because with Axler's design, you can have like, substrate chains connect with IBC chain connect with EVM chains and even move chains like Aptos and Sui and so on. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, I mean, the team has been busy, busy building for three years, but really in the last year is when all of the kind of buzz and hype around Axler has built because now they're seeing everyone seeing like all of the, the meaningful work we're doing on the enterprise side with JP Morgan and such, as well as the broad like DeFi adoption that, that we're getting within crypto. You know, I think that's going to be one of the the big distinguishing factors in a lot of the projects that we see kind of through this next market cycle is you mentioned a lot of building over the past couple of years. And a lot of projects kind of took this this opportunity in the bear market to step back. You know, maybe they're not doing as much marketing, um, but the ones that are really going to stand out are the ones that decided to build through the tough times. And so I think that's really kind of telling of where Axelar's at and kind of their priorities with everything is saying, hey, let's build first. Let's focus on like a really solid product. Let's actually contribute to the crypto market. And then we can come out and then we can start doing like marketing and all this other stuff. But the priorities were straight. And I think that that was like one of the big takeaways that I got from what you said. Love totally. It. No, Jason, this, this is incredible, man. Um, everything you guys are doing. Um, and we're, we're just happy that you took the time here, 45 minutes to chat with us today. Um, before we let you go, I'm just curious out of um, out of some of the other sort of uh, folks that are building in this space. Um, you run into a lot of them. I'm just curious who, maybe outside of anybody who works at Axelar, who's impressive to you? Like, what are some top notch builders that you look up to? Um, maybe they started a project or a company, or hell, maybe they're not even in crypto, but maybe there's somebody who inspired you uh, to to do what you do. That is the toughest question you've asked me all day, Bryce. There are so many, there are so many talented builders in the crypto space. I mean, honestly, one of my favorite part about my job is it's just such a privilege to be able to work closely with so many talented and ambitious builders. Um, so it's really hard for me to say, but if I were to think, 
I'm trying to like think by categories. I would say when it comes to like the different like blockchains, we think you know the zk sync team is doing some really amazing things on on the cosmos side <laughs> we actually really love the barachain guys and we really love uh <laughs> what what celestia is building you know within DeFi, i already met, mentioned earlier like we're really excited about some of those like perps players and you know one of the category i think people aren't talking about is a lot of our cross-chain builders who are building these like you know true natively cross-chain projects such as like squid router and prime protocol um yeah i mean it's so hard to say like there's so many amazing people in the space that's a good list um and yeah i'm really excited to see what what all those folks are building um and then lastly just you know address a new crypto trader or you know address a new um you know somebody who's just a new entrant into the space maybe just learning what would you say to them right you're a crypto veteran um somebody who might be listening is maybe just starting to dabble they might feel overwhelmed. They might feel lost. They might feel like, wow, like, you know, where do I start? What would you kind of tell them? I would say, ignore the noise, stick to the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Like, don't look at all the marketing and all the hype that, you know, the project or people are doing. Try the product yourself. See how you like the product. Is it easy to use? Does it solve a problem? Does it make sense? And who else is actually using the product? And I think at the end of the day, you know, these are the things that really matter. And maybe it doesn't sh- show in the long run, but fundamentals always kind of like catch up to to price action or to reality, right? I think a lot of times people in crypto are just looking, they care, they're p- placing too much emphasis on like the on the hype, on the buzz, right? And a lot of like what's underneath is kind of forgotten. And it's actually like the stuff underneath the building, the efforts that dictate price in the future. People, if you're just staring at price, if you're just stuck looking at price, you're actually going to might be behind the eight ball. If you're actually diving in and listening to podcasts and doing the research of, of, of what is actually being built now and what's investable now, then 12, 18 months down the line when prices are pumping, you're not going to be chasing, you're going to be selling, right? Because you were listening to what was being built. So now is the time. Uh, now is absolutely the time to, to take a serious look and get educated um, and follow the fundamentals. So I think that's a great a great kind of cap on uh, the end of a, a fantastic podcast. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Hopefully we have you back on again soon. Um, maybe some more big announcements or uh, big updates. You just let us know and uh, you'll always have a place here. Be a pleasure. How to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.